Welcome to BimmerCast number 62. It is almost May 1st, uh, April 30th, 2012, and we've got a motorsport-specific show for you today. We're going to be talking about DTM. We have, uh, we have Michael just back from the Hockenheim Ring, and I'm sure he's got a ton to share with us. Of course, there's also other uh, motorsports uh, happening in the next couple of months, namely the Nürburgring, 24 hours of Nürburgring, which we'll see the Z4M race in, uh, at, the, at the ring as, as really the factory car, in a way, run by Team Schubert. And then, of course, we've got some production stuff, the M3 engine rumors for the F30 M3, or I should say F80 M3, and M5 ordering guide, et cetera, et cetera. So this is going to be very much a motorsport show. Stay tuned. Gabe, it's it's uh, it's good to be back. I guess you could say. Um, but I apologize if my my speech is a little loud and uh, things just seem very fast because I've had a very fast and very loud day. Uh, these things roar, and uh, I am excited for DTM. I've never experienced it before, and it is a completely different breed of, of racing than anything really I've seen. Uh, I would dare to say it's almost like Formula One wrapped up in production-based cars. Yeah, I've seen some some uh, races, and it's, it's always kind of a challenge. You have to torrent them, and then the coverage is in German, typically. And then it's like, you know, it's it's, it's incredible, but it's just, you know, a bunch of, bunch of Audis and Mercedes for the past few years. So, you know, my, my interest wasn't that great in it. Um, but now we have BMW back. After 20 years, they are finally back in DTM. And as a lot of us know... You know, DTM was the German Touring Car Championship that BMW dominated with the E30 M3 and even with the E36 M3 to some degree, um, and then and then they went away. Yeah, you know, politics of racing it kind of gets in the way of things, and uh, I think BMW is very excited. Obviously, they're very excited, but I, I think this is what they've wanted for a long time, and they just needed even footing to get in. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't want to join DTM when Audi and Mercedes had basically fully developed cars and and the rules were catering towards you know just dumping tons of money into it um so when they went back and they renegotiated and reestablished you know the new dtm i guess you could say um it gives bmw even footing almost to come in and, and start racing as as is evident they had four cars in the top 10 for qualifying and one qualified third i mean not for nothing for a team that has never raced this car before that's pretty fantastic and, and then they had no, you know, and they actually didn't have any goals coming into the race because they really honestly didn't even know where they were. Right. And this, and this reminds me a little bit about BMW when they fielded their own team in F1 for the first uh, six months or so. I mean, they, they had very um, conservative goals, I would say. And I, you always look at BMW Motorsport and you think typically they're rel- rather conservative. They're looking, looking at the long haul and, and uh, they have a very systematic approach to it. And yet, you're right. You know, we saw a third place qualification. Um, 
of course, in the race, and, and we can talk about the results without spoiling anything since uh, since a day since this has been run. But they, you know, th- there was a lot of action. There's, it's a little bit like Formula One and a little bit like NASCAR. Yeah, actually, one of the drivers who I'm not going to name uh, said to me that certain teams were playing bumper cars with the rookies. <laughs> um, and, and that's yeah. what it seemed like. It almost like they were the the Audis and the Mercedes specifically were were toying with BMW, as in to seeing how much abuse the carbon fiber chassis, uh, you know, the the body panels would take. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, the three of you know three of the cars were damaged. Um, I mean, two of them were out, and uh, which is sad because as uh, Bruno Spengler was was the fastest this morning in warm-ups. I mean, he was flying. They made some tweaks to the car since qualifying, and he was he was almost on a, a different planet compared to everybody else. And then, you know, he gets taken on, like, what, lap two? <laughs> it's really interesting. Um, so Bruno, was Bruno in DTM last year? Yeah, Bruno. Bruno has been in DTM for a, a while now, okay. and so and, was Martin. Uh, Martin Tom, and I cannot pronounce his last name. Tomshek, yes. Tomshek. So Martin yes, was the they, cha- wasn't he the both, champion last year with. Uh, yeah, Martin was the, Martin was the champion, and um, Bruno has been uh, competing for the championship for the last few years. Mm-hmm. And if you look at a lot of the uh, DTM track records, Bruno holds them, or Martin holds them. And um, the both both of them actually had had very successful careers, and with BMW coming into the fold, they actually wanted to start over and be more of um, establishing. They want to establish something that they can call their own. Right, and that's so, and I think that's pretty that's pretty valiant, pretty interesting. I mean, it sounds like they've had a lot of success, and you know, this is a new team. Uh, you know, obviously, if they if they can see success with this new team, they've really made their mark in DTM. Yeah, you know, and you have Dirk Werner, who was ALMS. Uh, you have Andy Prio, ALMS, mm-hmm. and World Touring Car Championship. Obviously, you have Joey Hand, um, who's ALMS and Grand Am and a whole bunch of other stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, and Joey, Joey, of course, is American. He's the he's the lone American in the series, if I if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, he's he's the Cal- California kid. Yeah, he's. Uh, He's out there. He was quick in some areas, and you know, I think he was he had a little. It seemed to, he had a little issue with one part of the track, mm-hmm. and, but he was he was battling through it. And I can tell you that TM um, cars, there's no electronics helping you at all. There's no ABS. There's, really, there's so, no traction control. So this yeah, is this very is much driver. like this is very much like uh, Formula One as it stands right now, where it's yeah, a powerful, powerful lightweight vehicle <laughs> that is all driver. Yes, yes. And I, I can tell you from um, other experience I had today that it's got to be pretty difficult to go from the GT car to a DTM car. Just the sheer braking difference is, is pretty outstanding from my Yeah, gather. that's interesting. We always hear that with, with, um, with all these, uh, you know, sort of these F1 rides that a lot of these drivers will do in the, in the offseason. They'll, they'll perform well. I know BMW used to give these, these opportunities to the folks like Andy Prio, for instance. Uh, he got to drive in a Formula One car after he won the um, WTCC a couple years in a row, and and it's just like a quick test and a quick you know basically photo op. But the one thing they always say is that they are not prepared for the sheer force of the brakes in Formula One. They they are blown away by how deep they can go in a corner. And I've heard this, Michael. This is the second time I've now heard this about DTM, the new DTM. Is that it's the same thing. the The level of brakes is beyond what most people can imagine 
Yeah, it's 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 got to be frightening. I mean, honestly, because you're doing about 190 miles an hour and you're taking that corner very deep where normally you'd be done. Mm-hmm. And you're finally just getting on the brakes and the car literally goes from like 190 down to 40 in a blink of an eye. Well, and it's interesting when you think about the ALMS car, uh, the M3, which of course is a, a fantastic race car. I mean, uh, you know, two championships in a row now. It's it's obviously, it's got a 24 hours of Nürburgring win under its belt. It's a fantastic car. Um, but, to, you know, to some degree, as, 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 as much as it is a true race car, there's elements, I mean, it, 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 you can look at it and get a sense that it is somehow production-based. With these DTM cars, they are purpose-built race cars in every respect. Yeah, there's no contention there. They are purpose-built race cars. There's a formula to how much angle and A-pillar or C-pillar there is, and it's all beyond me at this point because it's written in German, most of it. But, um, yeah, these are purpose-built race cars and carbon fiber with some serious tubs that are um, steel that are actually supposedly 10 times stronger than the ones in F1 or some outrageous number like that. So, hmm. yeah, well, they they, have to they're, be they're considering they're, the, uh, the, the abuse they, they're given. They're, yeah, I mean, they take so much abuse. And then that's, that's the other point, Gabe. This is my first DTM race in person. Mm-hmm. And I will, I will tell you that it actually, to me, it's more enjoyable than ALMS. And we all know how much I really enjoy ALMS. Mm-hmm. And, and I say that because you, you can relate to the cars because they still look sort of production base. I mean, they're cars. They're not Formula One cars, which you'll never see on the street. They're not airplanes without wings. Right, exactly. And, you know, the, the, other, the other thing that's interesting is they, they sound fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they sound like, like what you would imagine uh, a race car should sound like. You know, high, yeah, it's they're in, all high revving, loud. Yeah, it's interesting. Just, the M3 sounds like it, it, it's, a, it's a buzzy, high revving engine. Um, that's very different than what I would expect. I mean, it sounds like a like a six hundred pound Hornet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just, no, it's it's just, just absolutely right. Yeah, you got it in this jar, and it's just going. That's that's really what it you know what it is. And um, the other thing is that the circuits, all these circuits, are fan friendly. So there's grandstands all over the place. There's places to watch. Um, and you're very close to the action when you're a general spectator. You can access the pits and all that. And oh, really? It, so it is a little bit like ALMS as well. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think there's different levels of tickets and, and all that. But you can still access the pits and you can, you can walk around. You can walk on the track at certain levels. And, you know, there's grandstands everywhere. I mean, there's excess of 100,000 people at this, at this thing. And they had uh, a band play before, you know, between warm-ups and, and this and they do all these other interesting things to get the fans involved. And it, it's really, it's really enjoyable. And the, the other great part about it is it's, it's cars that are all similar spec. Mm-hmm. So racing is fairly tight and you do end up with a little bump and, and grind action. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's almost like you take ALMS, you take formula one and you take NASCAR and you throw them in a blender and you get DTM. Interesting. You know, I, I think I think it's going to be interesting to see this in the U.S. I mean, I, let's take a step back before we get into that. Michael, uh, DTM is only in Germany this year. Uh, is that correct? Well, it's Germany. They, they race in Brands Hatch in Great Britain. Mm, that's true. That's true. In fact, that, and, this is the first time they're the, – I don't believe they've – were they in Brands Hatch last year? I think they might have done last year. And then they're okay. also racing in uh, Valencia, Spain this year. Okay. So primarily German. Yes. Um, 
but they have some some pretty ambitious goals. They do. Uh, you know, they're still negotiating on and off with Japan to get the the Japanese race series involved. And I guess talks have stalled a bit, but it's not completely done because um, while this DTM stuff is is new, there are plans to change the engine format. We'll just go with that for now. Um, the, the V8s that are in there may not be there forever. Interesting. Um, they, they want to become a green racing series as well, and they want to do it systematically. So these cars were designed to take future drivetrains and be able to package them in this car. So literally you can supplement a more efficient, say, dual mode, something like that with a boost button. But we're not going to speculate. That's um, for another show. But needless to say, we but all so know another that word, the V8 yeah. is a bit of a dying breed in the production yes. world. And you would expect that racing has to stay somewhat true to production so you can sort of see the writing on the wall there. Yes. And the other part of this puzzle is that other race series are trying to do that as well. So like the Japanese race series is trying to become more green. The Australians are trying to be more green. Uh, you know, obviously, trend. <laughs> obviously in the U.S. they're trying to become more green. But um, so if you had this international racing series, I, I think it'd be pretty interesting and uh, I could definitely see it coming coming to the U.S. and uh, they haven't officially announced that, but I could see them doing, say, two, three races on road tracks that NASCAR might attend and using this as like the warm-up to NASCAR and well, that was the couple Grand Am events. They had leaked that last year that, that um, DTM was basically in talks with NASCAR to come over for let's just say a Watkins Glen or like a Sears Point and yeah race on Saturday and then NASCAR races on Sunday and slowly introduce the DTM series to the United States and it's still a very good possibility and from what I saw today Gabe it's it's enjoyable and yeah. I think people will absolutely love it well I think what I think they should also do I mean I know I know they're dying to get the NASCAR fans but for my money why not race these things in conjunction with Formula One in in texas and in new york when they come back uh you know for those races in a couple of years well so gabe that's what two f1 races plus two nascar races plus two grand am races and you have six races right there well listen that's that's music to my ears so <laughs> it sounds awesome let's let's move on uh but i, I do i do want to give give you a final uh i guess a final moment just to give me and the, the listeners, your your lasting impressions. First DTM race sounds like you had a hell of a time. Oh, I gave. I had a hell of a time, and I'm looking forward to going back. Cool. Well, uh, definitely you're going to hear a lot more about DTM at Vermeerfile. This is BMW's pinnacle as far as racing this year, and and really for the next few years. So, just just the tip of the iceberg. Well, that's a good segue, Gabe. It is because we have something else that uh, is coming up. That's a bit of a change for BMW. <laughs> Yeah, 24, 24 Hours of the Ring, which is also coincidentally with M-Fest. But we're not going to go into M-Fest. We're just going to talk about the 24-hour race and how BMW will not be racing an M3 this year. So the, the, the thing here that is somewhat surprising to folks is that BMW, in, in the United States at least, has only raced M3s. The Z4M doesn't even exist in production form. And, of course, uh, in, in race car form, it's not even in the United States at all. It's only in Europe. So um, it's been it, it's it's a bit of a shock to think that the BMW is sort of like putting all of its weight behind this car for what will be one of the biggest races of the year. 
but it's not actually BMW, Michael. Can you explain that? Well, it's Team Schubert because the Z, Z4 GT3 car is technically a customer car. BMW Motorsport doesn't race its own product in, in the Z4 GT3. So it's a customer team. They purchase the car, and um, I think they're being financially backed a bit probably for this race and some livery changes and things like that. But it's, it's completely the uh, Schubert team's car. They've raced this thing in Dubai. I mean, they've been all over, and they're, they're doing fantastic in Europe racing the, the Z4 GT3. And not that BMW Motorsport doesn't want the Z4 GT3 to come to the U.S. Mm-hmm. They have um, made attempts to bring it to the U.S. and have been unsuccessful, uh, secondary to some uh, rules that are very rigid and prevent them from doing such things. <laughs> that's a, that sounds but, like you're dancing around in lots of little minefield or less little mines and minefield. But if, if you um, are the race founder you can build a car and have special homologation rules made for your special car but if you're a major manufacturer you cannot do such a thing okay well uh that sounds uh like another podcast which is going to have to be uh, very private (laughs) (laughs) yeah well anyway it's it's the saddest part of the whole thing, Gabe, is that the um, the M3 is still competitive, and mm-hmm. honestly, I don't think anyone thought it was. I don't. I know the com- competition didn't think that the M3 was going to be competitive this year. Well, yeah, it's, so at, it's end a, of life, and they haven't really done any upgrades to it. You've got you've got a, an improved Porsche. You've got, and we're talking about ALMS, um, but we're yeah. also talking about you know Nurburgring as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got an improved Porsche 911. You've got. The, the Audis, which are you know, increasingly uh, competitive. You've got the Mercedes SLS. Um, I mean, you know, not even to mention the, the, a lot of the, the privateer teams, the Astons. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's, a, it's a, an amazing field of cars. Yeah, and everybody was pretty much thinking that the M3 was you know, out to pasture done. It's, it's not. It's still competitive. I mean, it's kind of... Uh, it's kind of an interesting situation well, because the car is that old and it's still ahead of everyone else, and that is frightening. I, you know, I, it's, it's interesting. We we could certainly talk about why in ALMS, um, and that's probably its own show. Uh, but for you know the Nurburgring, I mean, that's an entirely different beast. I mean, just to survive that long, thinking about twenty four hours in the ring, I mean, that's that's, that's like going to the moon and back. Uh, whereas ALMS yeah. is just a sprint, you know, comparatively. So it's, 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 it's pretty cool to see BMW succeed in both venues. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And I'm looking forward to seeing the Z4 GT3 on the ring because that thing is the most aggressive-looking race car I've seen, I, I think, yeah, ever. I agree. I think, uh, you know, thinking about, thinking about the Z4, um, that is absolutely the sexiest most angry looking thing I've ever seen on a racetrack. It is wonderful. And I'll say this, I've said it many times, BMW made a big mistake and BMW M made a big mistake just, just for a, a marketing exercise, not creating some limited edition road car version of that. Yeah. I, I, I don't know the real decision behind that Gabe. I think they might've wanted to, and then just the numbers are not there. So yeah, M doesn't necessarily make decisions at what gets produced, right? And I and I yeah, and I I say that knowing that I mean we all know that it's oftentimes it's it's the board of BMW that looks at this and, and votes it up or down. So you know, 
what can you say? Uh, they made the uh, the 1M, which you know I'm pretty happy about, and um, I think a lot of other folks are, and they're concentrated on on the M5 and the M6, and and of course we all know those those two cars have just been uh, revered so far in, in reviews. I should say the specifically uh, the convertible M6, and we've got something really interesting coming up, and this is perhaps a, a good segue: the F80 M3. This is going to be a four-door M3. It's going to be the first one out of the gate for this next generation M3, as, unless there's a surprise brewing that we don't know. And, mm-hmm. and, and you can elaborate on, on that in a second, Michael. And, and engine-wise, it's going to be an entirely new drivetrain. Yeah, completely new to drivetrain, Gabe. And depending on which source you talk to on Thursdays or Tuesdays, um, you can either find out that it's a V6 or an inline six, and that nobody's really knows what it is yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so. some, there's some uh, supposedly some kind of confirmed rumor, if you will, uh, which of course wouldn't make it a rumor. But regardless, I believe it was, it was an inside line or car and driver had uh, somehow, and I'm using air quotes here, been told that it was indeed a V6. And you know, you, you hear it in videos, and I go back and forth on it personally. Uh, there are times when it just straight up sounds like a V6, and there are other times when there's so much forced induction going on there that it's somewhat difficult to tell. Yeah, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be forced induction, obviously. It's going to have some futuristic turbos or superchargers or whatever they're going to be called because they're electric and also powered by exhaust gas. So we'll have to create a new term. Uh, but it'll be sensational and it's going to be groundbreaking because it's going to be extremely efficient, which is going to, you know, change the whole ball game. I think you're not going to have to worry about, uh, having a enormous gas tank with an M3. That will be, that will be very, very nice. I mean, just, just the inefficiency of my N54 and the 1M is, is, uh, certainly <laughs> the, the gas tank is, is small. I'll say that. And that is fuel efficient, though. And it, and it is. I mean, it's not that bad. But, I mean, it's, it's funny. When you get into these M cars, Michael, as you know, with, with, uh, with your E90, you know, they, they typically don't change the tank. I mean, the M5, this current M5, um, the F10M, they did, finally. But it was because yeah. you could only get 200 and some odd miles out of a full tank of gas in, in the uh, E60. Yeah, and they might do the same thing with the M3. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But uh, it was pretty simple in a sense of making the tank out of metal and making the walls thinner so they can actually add more fuel. Brilliant, but simple. Right. Uh, you know, so we'll, we'll see what they're going to do with that. But the um, M5 ordering guide came out. It's priced pretty reasonably. You know, the carbon fiber brakes, 10K with 20-inch wheels, not astronomical. I mean, actually, it's... <laughs> Certainly not affordable. I mean, it's, not, it's like not affordable, I mean, but it's still three grand less than I was thinking. Honestly, uh, I, I was, I was. Well, so my perspective is, I was hoping they weren't going to be ten grand. I was hoping they'd like get them done sixty nine something or other. Well, they're not ten grand, but you have to buy the wheels, right? So they throw the wheels in. So the wheels are what a fifteen hundred dollar option uh, standalone. Yeah. So yeah, you know, it's it's a it, listen. If you're getting an M five, I mean, you shouldn't be uh, pinching pennies on this stuff. No, and you should definitely opt for the free DCT, but until I drive the six-speed, I will hold my final judgment. But- well, it's interesting because there's a, a commenter, um, a commenter who, not a commoner, <laughs> I might add, who um, mentioned something about a six-speed, and, and you just said, you know, from your experience, the DCT was fantastic in this car, and we've heard that elsewhere, but of course nobody's driven the, the, the six-speed. So I, I am going to be, I'm absolutely fascinated by what BMW did with this car, bringing it, again, 
in six-speed format, in manual format for the U.S. only, will it be will it be sort of that that hot that sort of neutered manual feel like the previous E60, where there was no defeatable traction control, et cetera, et cetera, for a long time, um, or will it feel from the get-go like just a beast that you know is that you're in control of that you have? Uh, you it's going to be like driving a with. tank. <clears throat> Maybe I, you know. To be honest with you, like so I, much I, I torque, don't disagree with you. This is that moment where I feel like it makes sense to to go with a, a DCT or go, you know, to, to go with some sort of automated manual. You know, it's a it's a it's a big car. It's got a ton of power. But that said, I mean, there's something that just screams hoonage in the best way when you've got you know 560 some odd horsepower and a manual transmission. Yeah, it's true. And one that you can't supposedly shift into the improper gear and destroy it. So, uh, I yeah. don't know. I, I, you know, and Gabe, honestly, I, every car I've ever owned in my entire existence, which I think I'm on like 20-something right now, has always been a manual. I owned one automatic, and that was a – we're not going to go into it, but it was a product that was made in the UK, and it has four-wheel drive usually, and it, it's jacked up. But the, Did you have the, an E61 manual? Yeah. Uh. I didn't know that. Yeah, absolutely, I'm Gabe. That was a special, special order. I'm saddled with this this godforsaken automatic. Oh no, that said, I mean the the automatic is is really pretty nice in that. I, my E61 is uh, has been a joy, quite quite comfortable, and it starts to feel like a natural option or natural uh, thing. You know, the the automatic in a car like that that just wants to like basically go fast in a straight line with like absolutely no drama that just feels like it needs a, a really sophisticated automatic and that is a perfect car for that yeah so anyway i i'm i'm personally excited to to get behind the wheel of the m5 i know you've had an opportunity you know this is a car that uh has been uh, pretty much universally praised by by the uh, the reviewers out there and um as well it should be. I mean, just looking at the numbers, it just seems pretty incredible. So the M5 has this thing called the ring taxi. It's, it's a car that goes fast around the ring, right? Right. Well, part of my day today, Gabe, was going in a race taxi. Oh, boy. I don't think I – I didn't even tell you this part. Well, I think I saw a photo of it that I didn't know if I should mention it or not. <laughs> So you get dressed up in a racing suit, BMW Motorsport racing suit, and you get strapped inside a GT car. Yeah, as in the same GT ALMS GT cars that are racing really in ALMS. But yeah, uh, it was uh, it was intense. It was intense. Two hundred and ninety kilometers an hour, and then braking, and yes. So were you on the Hockenheim Ring? Yes. Oh man. That's a yes. that's a pretty technical track, if I remember right. Yeah, it's it's very technical and um, it's very fast. And then all of a sudden, you have this hairpin, and you pretty much lose your body and your eyes. Like they all go one way, and you can't really get them back. <laughs> so it's just you have to figure out where the track is before you actually break and make the turn because your eyes will you just can't actually physically turn them. That is fantastic. I love that. I love that idea. Well, you know what? That is awesome. I mean, that is absolutely awesome. And my question is, how the hell do they do it? I mean, I, you know, you and I, you and I both been on tracks. We've done lots of uh, track time in various fast cars, but there is such a difference between what we do and what a lot of our listeners do. 
and what Joey Han does, you know, or what or what Dirk Warner does. I mean, these guys, I don't even know how their their vision doesn't blur. Gabe, I don't know how. Honestly, they take the abuse lap after lap. I have no idea. I, I mean, I card a lot. You know, not here in Germany, but in the past, I card a lot. And I, after a carding race, I'm beat up. I'm, I'm in pain. And uh, I can't imagine racing these DTM cars or these GT cars for a full you know, hour and a half or do a double stint or whatever in one of these 24-hour races. I, I can't even imagine it. It's just you know, it's skill, A, and then there's a lot of physical ability. Yeah. You know, it's not like golf. <clears throat> yeah, I would imagine it's a little bit different. And that's, and that's the funny thing about uh, driving and uh, doing it for long stints is it, it is, it's taxing. And I, I think of, you know, my time at the 24 Hours of uh, Lemons, which is obviously a little bit different. But, I mean, you know, long stints, I mean, up to two hours at times in the middle of the night. And um, the thing that the thing that is is uh, is really taxing though is this mental part. Yes. And I can't imagine. I mean, this of course is. Um, I have so much leeway. I have so much ability to make errors and still even look decent. These guys don't. They don't have any room for error. A lot of times. I mean, if there is error, they lose spots or they crash or even worse. So. To keep that level of concentration for even two hours is pretty outstanding. But you know, thinking about race like the Twenty Four Hours of the Ring or you know even Le Mans, it's it's almost unimaginable to me. Yeah, I don't. I, I give them a lot of credit. I really, I really truly do. It's it's pretty spectacular. I mean, we I did two laps in the car today, mm-hmm. and a it was the high, one of the highlights of my existence on this planet thus far. <laughs> And B, it just opened my eyes up to how A, you know, it's it's loud, it's fast, it's physically taxing, and mm-hmm. it's mentally taxing. I mean, you got to hit that just right with that car. You know, you have no traction control, no nothing, and you're mm-hmm. doing 185 miles an hour. And if you miss the braking zone, you're in a wall. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that's that's the thing that a lot of people. You know, it, it, it's it's like anything you watch, any sport. It looks much easier on TV. It and really Gabe, does. they also—that's probably the reason why these cars go so fast now—is because there's no clutch pedal. Yeah, no, it's true. In fact, the steering wheel is isn't even a steering wheel. It's it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's like an F1 wheel. Yes, it's like a video game controller with 40 buttons. It's oh god, it's incredible. So what, what I mean we haven't so this is the first time we've been we've been uh, back on the show for gosh, it's been a few weeks now. Um, before we before we adjourn, Michael really quick, what do we have to uh, to look forward to over the next month or so? Well, the next month we have the 24 hours of the ring. There's um there's a race, there's another DTM race, there's actually an ALMS race. Excuse me. There's some Grand Am races. I mean, there's a lot of racing coming up. But as far as cars launching, um, June, at the end of June, comes the 3 Series Wagon. We're going to see that. Um, The 1 Series Hatch, 2-door, or 3-door, rather, Mm -hmm. um, should be poking its head out a little bit more coming up as well. That should be this summer, I would suspect, for a a release uh, in Paris. Um, Paris the fall, but uh, I, I would imagine we're going to see it before then. Well, uh, right. I mean, just thinking of a, of a public debut in Paris. Yeah, Paris yeah, public like... debut probably in, in, in Paris. <clears throat> and I wouldn't be surprised to see that M6 Grand Coupe um, make some form of 
intro this summer. Yeah, I agree. And again, I think that would probably end up in Paris as well. As far as a official public unveiling, and then the uh, the two series coupe, I would suspect it's going to be a late 2012 slash early 2013 uh, debut. I'm just gonna I'm just guessing, just considering that the current one series coupe will go out of production later this year. Yeah, and then I would suspect there's going to be like a, a little bit of a period of not having one of those. Not having a one uh, two series coupe for a little bit uh, mm-hmm. would be my suspect, and uh, the convertible might actually hang on a little bit longer than we think. Mm, but, interesting. But the um, on the, speaking of convertibles, Gabe, the M six convertible is already being sold. I know, I know, I saw that. It's not pretty a single, funny. not a single um, journalist has driven one, but they're being they, they sold them it's out there it, it's it sells itself it's what, well, you need, what do you need journalists for right I clearly all right so that is Bimmercast. what is it 64 65 62 62 it's 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 been a long day and michael's been a really long day for you so we're gonna we're gonna call the show but uh we will be back of course in, in a week or two and uh talking a little bit more about motorsport talking a little bit about and then we may even dive into some, some vintage stuff as well. So until then, this is Gabe. Cheers. And Michael, prost. <laughs>